guys. Good morning. Good afternoon, evening. Hi, everybody. Uh, we're here just transitioning Alyssa, as you know, into med school in California. It's been... It's been hard, actually. I've shed a few tears, but you know I cry all the time anyway. So <laughs> you'll just say that's Roger. That's just the way he goes. It's It's been super emotional. High highs, low lows, but that's life, right? I can't get us both in the screen because I'm a little taller than my loving wife. But we just want to say how much we miss you all. And uh, we keep hearing reports from the elders of what's going on and we're so excited and we wish we could be with you. I told Carrie, I said, you know what? I, I thought I was just going to enjoy being away, but I think I'm going to have to come back early because I'm missing everybody so much. Yeah, we miss you lots. But to Roger's point, awesome updates. Yeah. Uh, some tender moments that we, we've been praying lots, lots. And so as we enter that place this morning, mm. we serve an awesome God who's with us in the highs and the lows. And let's let's invite his presence this morning that he would speak to us together. Amen. And it's one of the best passages of scripture, Romans chapter 8. So I hope you enjoy the sermon, but let's pray before we get started. Uh, Father, we just embrace your presence by the power of your spirit together around one Lord and one King and one God with one hope and one faith. Mm -hmm. And this morning, Lord, we come because no matter where we are in this world right now, you want to speak to us. Yes, Lord. You want to reach to us. You want to remind us that you love us. And so, Father, would you, by the power of your spirit, speak through your words your words not rogers not carries yours to your kids and to those listening even now in the powerful name of jesus christ amen hey westbound we love you and we're back so i know we were just here like two minutes ago but we forgot something and it was important and my wife said we should retake the whole intro and I'm like, we're not gonna retake the whole intro, babe. We're just gonna do an addition. So this is the easier way of getting it done. So the addition is simply this. Uh, you know how often we try to partner with another church and we've been partnering with Sunridge and they let us use their facility a lot. And today I'm so proud of our leadership team and our worship team that came together and they we got a call that they needed some help uh, to cover for worship this Sunday. And so you guys stepped out. So a bunch of you, including our leaders, are there helping to bring them into worship this morning. So that's great, guys. So all the churches in Kelowna, we're apart, we're together, we're unified. We wanna support one another and we wanna to work together even more in this time. So I am Amen. so proud of our church. Amen, keep it up, guys, we oh, yeah. love you. So now to the sermon. Hello, Westmount. Today is one of the most tastiest, is that a word, tastiest? I'm not sure. But today is one of the most tasty chapters in all of the Bible. I know that we believe that scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. But I believe that God blew really hard when he breathed on this chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. It's a wonderful chapter. In fact, the insights that I want to share today have revolutionized my own spiritual life. I really mean that. It brought me into a new intimacy, a new maturity, and a whole new way of thinking, and a new grace, and a new freedom. 
And I believe that that's a freedom that Jesus wants for all of us today. So let me pray and then we'll get started. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would anoint the words that I have to share today. But more than that, I believe they're your words. Your words that you want to speak to your people. That you desire to draw your people into freedom, into a powerful life, into all that you've given us in, in Jesus. So I pray that that would happen this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Probably the best way to get going is just to start reading. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start reading right at verse 1. Because this is beautiful. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Let me repeat that one more time. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, two different laws. Law of the Spirit, law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, this is the finished work of Christ. Our judgment is removed forever and ever. He took the wrath of God for us. He took our sins for us. But not only that, he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his perfection. And so we trade our sin for the perfection of Christ. And we come to this great verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Jesus. No condemnation. No shame, no past that keeps you from experiencing the presence of God. You see, our spirit stands perfect in the heavenlies. Our spirit is, is clean and right before the King of Kings and before the Lord of Lords so we can stand with confidence. We don't have to stand with shame and, and uncertainty. We stand with confidence because that's what Jesus did for us. But you know our problem with this? Our problem with this is that we tend to define forgiveness by the way we see forgiveness lived out in the people around us. You see, with people, the bigger the sin, the more trouble we have forgiving. The bigger the sin, the harder it is for us to forgive and give that over to God and to to let it go and so we take that definition of forgiveness and we transfer it from the people that we see around us to God and we think God must forgive the same way but God's forgiveness is so vastly different from that you see God's forgiveness is that where sin increases grace increases all the more there's even more grace than there is sin I remember the time when I for the very first time understood the grace of God. Told this story before, but I was sitting in my office and I feel like the Holy Spirit just revealed to me 
the grace of God and I just started bawling. I started bawling. I was like, can it be really true? Can it be true that God's love for me doesn't change by my actions? That his love for me is based on what Christ has done for me, not what I do, that I didn't have to earn anything, that, that God loved me fully no matter what. And I sat there just crying, just experiencing and feeling the love of God for the first time in my life. I, I feel like I understood grace for the very first time in my life, that I couldn't earn it, I couldn't deserve it, I couldn't increase God's love for me, nor could I decrease it. It's all because of what Jesus did for me. Therefore, there is no condemnation, no condemnation, no, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And those words penetrated my heart for the very first time. And I began to live in the grace of God. I began to understand what grace was. You see, look at what, what Paul says here in verse 3. It's so beautiful. It says, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. You know, sin wants to condemn us, and the enemy wants to condemn us, and the enemy wants to speak to us. Oh, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. But, but Jesus does the opposite. He condemns sin. It's like when that happens, when we have the accuser speaking to us, Jesus condemns sin. It's like, no, he turns it around. I condemn sin. Look at verses 33 and 34 of the same chapter of Romans 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? The answer is no one. doesn't say that, but I'll add it. It is God who justified. Who then condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who justifies us? Who makes us right? It is God who gives you his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and that's what happened on the cross. Jesus said, I'll trade my sin or your sin for my righteousness. And I'm like, I'll take that trade every day, right? Who wouldn't take that trade? And so who brings a charge? No one. Who condemns? No one. But Roger, you don't know my secret sins. You don't know the things that I, I know about myself. And the enemy latches on to those dark secrets that we keep and begins to, con to condemn us. And Paul is speaking right to that issue. He says, who is it that condemns? No one. Yes, we have the accuser speaking against us, but those are just lies. In Christ Jesus, we stand perfect. And not only that, Jesus is interceding. He's interceding at the right hand of the Father. Now, I looked up that word intercede in the dictionary, and it means to intervene on behalf of another. You know what else comes from the word intercede? Interception. That's right. You knew I'd bring a football analogy into this. <laughs> Jesus actually intercepts any condemnation that's coming our way. He intercepts it and he takes it himself. It's like, it's like the enemy's throwing condemnation at us and shame at us. And Jesus is intercepting those balls on our behalf. 
I love that. Even our own thoughts of shame, even our own thoughts of condemnation. Do you see the love and the grace of Jesus? And so this is justification. Now that's a theological word, but this is justification that our spirit stands before God perfect, perfect. I already hear your next question, but Roger, I still sin. Yeah, maybe I accepted Christ, but I, I still sin. And I want to tell you that's a whole different question. You see, that's the question of sanctification, not justification. Justification is we're pure and right and holy before God. Sanctification is this process of our, our soul or our mind, will, and emotions that are still subject to sin, and they become more holy over time. The sanctification process happens. Our souls are working towards what is already true, which is that we stand right before God. And so we have this process of, of sanctification, but people confuse justification and sanctification. It happens all the time. And so they're confused in their Christian life about what is true. And I just want to clear that up. We stand right before God, but we're working out our sanctification. How long does that take? One second more than a lifetime. I mean, when we come before Christ, it's taken care of. But until that time, we're working out our sanctification. You see, when we come to Christ, there's this battle, this battle between flesh and the spirit. And Paul talks about that battle. Now, here's the good news. The spirit is more powerful than the flesh. Romans 8, let me keep reading verses 5 to 8. Those who live according to their flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desire. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. As I have a lawnmower going behind me, hopefully that's not bothering you. It's bothering me a bit, but we'll push through it. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So do you see this battle that's happening in the life of the Christian? Now this is the battle of sanctification, not of justification. That's already been set, so we've talked about that. But now we're gonna talk about sanctification. So we live according to the Spirit, not in condemnation, not in shame, not in the flesh, or maybe another word for that is in religion. You see, we live in the spirit and we set our minds on what the spirit desires because the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Do you see the two ways that are laid out here by Paul? He said living according to the flesh or living according to the spirit. Mind governed by the flesh, mind governed by the spirit. The realm of the flesh or the realm of the spirit. You think Paul's trying to drive home a point to us? I think so. You see, the Holy Spirit aids us in living out in, in our soul, in our mind, will, and emotions, what is already true in our spirit, right? 
So if you live according to the flesh, you're focusing on yourself. You're focusing on what you desire. You're focusing on your ability to live and do rightly on your own. And that's so defeating, isn't it? I know that I found it defeating in my Christian life. But instead our focus is on the Holy Spirit. What's the Spirit forming into you? What's He calling you to? Carrie and I used to ride motorcycles. We sold them so we don't have them anymore, but we used to ride motorbikes. And I remember this, my brother who was a motorcycle cop and he had done all those safety training and all the courses on motorcycle safety, he taught me how to ride a motorcycle property, but properly. But the one thing he taught me more than anything else was when you're riding a motorcycle, you never look at the obstacle. Because if you look at the obstacle, you're going to steer right into it. You'll just like, like a tractor being, you'll go right into the obstacle. You always steer and look towards the opening and you'll head that direction. And I think that that's sort of what Paul is talking about here, right? Where are we focused? Are we focused on our flesh and then our sin and trying to defeat our sin or the obstacles? Are we focused on the Spirit and the life the Spirit is calling us to? And I feel like this is the greatest problem for the church. I mean that we're trying to fight sin in our own flesh. We're trying to fight the oppression that we feel in our own flesh. We're tr desperately trying to win the battle, but with weapons that could never defeat the enemy. The church is powerless and it's resigned and it's living in sin and it's oppressed and and there's so many people who can't even see their way out of it and Paul speaking to us this morning he's saying that's why you're given the Holy Spirit that's why you're given the Holy Spirit that's our focus that's our freedom. That's our power. You see, the flesh can't submit to God's law. It keeps messing up. The flesh can't please God. But when we have our minds instead set on the Spirit, and we, when we rely on the Spirit and focus on the Spirit, then this new life begins to open up for us. So what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the Spirit? It's more than just thinking. I want to say that it's a whole new paradigm for living. It's, it means it's not just the way we think, or sorry, it's not just what we think, but it's also the way we think. It changes our approach to life, and Paul describes it here in verses 9 to 11. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, I love that. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who's living in you. You see, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is 
is alive in you. And I want you to believe that today. It's not just salvation. It's so much more than salvation. It's freedom from sin and freedom from oppression. And Paul's saying we're living in one or the other. We're living in the flesh or the spirit. Continuing on, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh and to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Do you see that? If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You see, it's through the Spirit that the misdeeds of the body are put to death. The Spirit leads us into that same righteousness that Jesus has already given us. It, you know, our spirits are perfect in front of the Father. And so then the Holy Spirit leads us in our sanctification to that same perfection. But what's the source of that? Is the source discipline and I'm going to force my, I'm going to live a more holy life. Paul's saying, no, the source isn't the flesh. The source is the Spirit of God. You see, we need the power of Christ dwelling within us. The source isn't our own abilities and our own trying because that leads to shame and powerlessness. You see, Satan loves to get us into that loop. I lived in that loop for so many years, decades of my Christian life. I thought I had to earn God's love. I thought I had to earn God's grace. I thought I had to earn God's favor. So, so I would do my best in the religious sense to do everything right and then I would do pretty good and when I did pretty good I was proud man I was proud I was proud of how well I was doing and I would sort of look down at how others were doing in their spiritual life I had this spiritual pride but then when I messed up the opposite was true all that that spiritual pride got focused inward and I felt so much shame and I felt so much guilt and my spiritual life would vacillate between pride and shame and pride and shame. If I was doing well, pride. If I was doing poorly, shame. But I had no understanding of the spiritual life that Paul is calling us to here. I had no understanding of the grace of God. I didn't, I didn't get it. And Satan loves to catch us in that religious loop that I was caught in for so long. You see, the real source of our power and strength is the Holy Spirit indwelling us through Christ. That's where we find our power. You know, we, we try so hard in the flesh to defeat the problems of the flesh. We think maybe counseling will accomplish mental health for us or we think that by discipline we can put to death sin in our lives or we think we can break the yoke of depression by changing our mindset by self-improvement. But all actions that are governed by the flesh are doomed to fail. Paul's saying I need you to do something else. I need you to live in Christ. I need you to live according to the Spirit. You see, that's our source. That's our answer. It's where we find joy and peace and freedom. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Do you see how important Romans 
chapter eight is. This is, this is really a directional choice we need to make for our lives. And then let me finish by reading verses 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I love that. If we live being led by the Spirit, we're children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received bought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And now if we're children, then we're heirs. We're, we're God's children. We're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that we may also share in his glory. You know, these are some of the most beautiful verses and truths in all of Scripture that we're sons and daughters of Christ, that we're called into a relationship that's so intimate with God that it's sort of like crawling up on his lap and saying, Daddy, Abba. I do hope I'm doing a, a good enough job of teaching this. I do hope that this is landing on you because we've received a spirit of adoption we're his, not because of what we do, but because of what he does. And that's the essence of who we are. We're children of God. Have you experienced being fully loved by God? Have you ever had a revelation of God's love for you? Or do you find yourself consistently caught in that loop of shame, feeling I'm not right? I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit changes your mindset completely and that you, you feel this profound sense of what is true in the heavenlies. The grace of God would fall on you and that you would feel his love. That the Holy Spirit would fill you and you would be moved towards righteousness by the Spirit, not, not of your own discipline. And, and that the Spirit would testify with your spirit that we're God's children, that we're heirs of the kingdom, that everything is ours, that we stand with Christ, that we share in his glory. You see, the flesh was powerless, but the spirit is powerful. And some of you are still trying to defeat the power of sin on your own. It's like grit your teeth and try harder. You're trying to do it through religious practice, through an act of the will, but flesh cannot defeat flesh. Instead, I want to invite you to something fully different this morning. To give in, not to give in to sin, but to give in to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. To allow Him to breathe on you and, and draw you to, to a righteousness and a, and a perfection and a love and a sonship or or daughtership to allow him to breathe his grace on you. And when the enemy wants to accuse and condemn, you say, sorry, in Christ. I'm in Christ. Have the righteousness of Christ. Pray that you would receive that this morning. I pray that it would powerfully change your life. I pray that you would walk in the newness of the realm of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Jesus, I just thank you for all you've done for us. 
And right now I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to the spirit of those whom you call your children and you would speak your love. You would speak your grace. You would speak your forgiveness. You would impart your presence. You would impart your power that you would begin to change us from the inside out, that something inside us would just draw us into the presence of God and draw us into holiness and draw us into the perfection that already exists because of Christ Jesus, because of you, Jesus. Just pray that in your powerful separate even if I ran away your love never fails I know I still make mistakes but you have new mercies for me every day your love never fails Stay the same through the ages Your love never changes There may be pain in the night But joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me your love never fails The wind is strong and the water's deep But I'm not alone here in these open seas Your love never fails far too wide I never thought I'd reach the other side but your love never fails you stay the same through the ages your love never changes there may be pain in the night but joy comes in the morning for my good you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good 
Oh, you make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. Cause your love never fails. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your love never fails. Oh, oh God. Your love never fails. Your love never fails. Oh, Will you allow me this morning to just let you into a moment in how he teaches me and leads me even with this this chapter I'm not here to preach I'm just here to share a fresh way that the Lord's intimately met me and how he loves to do that he loves it that we would let him more and more. So here I am in Sycamore Canyon. Never been here before, listening to some worship music. And then I start listening to Romans 8. And I've memorized the chapter actually, but I was a little rusty on it. So I started to just listen to it again. And this is the power of the word of God. Don't you ever think that you know it. How often do we do that? Oh Lord, I know that. Oh, do you? And uh, so I start listening to it. This verse sticks out to me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to live according to the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh will die, but those who by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the flesh will live. And so I started to think of that and I started to think of like this place that I'm in, literally. And so you think, well, I'm on the rock, but then all of a sudden, and yeah, you're saved and you have the spirit of God, which that says, but the area around in which you're living in, you seem to be stuck. Like it seems endless, dry, arid, desert. Maybe you're there. See, the key in that verse is very interesting to me. Paul says we have an obligation, and I think so often we get off like the enemy allures us. But can I remind you of something? By the Spirit, we have the Spirit. You, however, are children of God if you have the Spirit of Christ. If you believe 
the Spirit of Christ is in you right now. Even as I'm saying this, he, he wants to awaken, arise. He wants to lead. See, there's the, there's the pivot in that verse. If we put to death the misdeeds of the body, well, we don't do that in the flesh. The Spirit does that. Spirit does that. And the next verse goes on to say, therefore those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And I was up here just trying to filter my own thoughts, you know, going like I don't even know where, checking a map so many different times. All these different areas. And even, even how I'm presenting myself to you, I'm like, man, I want you to see me undone. <sighs> With reverence, but undone. Like we're so masked. And I say this especially to the women, like enough already, because the spirit wants to lead us out of conforming to the world and into what? And as I, as I looked around, I saw down in the valley, oh, this refreshment. And I thought, oh Lord, I wanna run down in there. <laughs> I wanna run down in, and I thought of how we need to humble ourselves in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't need to fear. But that's where he makes me lie down in green pastures and he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Where? In the humility of valleys. We always think we need to be on the mountain. I love being on the mountain. But do you know what the Lord's teaching me? He's teaching me in, in just allowing him to lead me. Allowing him to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And he wants to bring me into green pastures. There's a banqueting table set down there. And so my ask to you today is perhaps we could let go by the power of the Spirit, not in our own, but allow Him to lead us out into the valley. So Father, with that heart, Holy Spirit, we need your help. So we just lay open our hands yet again. Let go of trying to do things in our own way. Trying to find our own path in our own independence. We let you lead us into the valley of life. now I'm forever in your paradise thank you Lord for your grace the powerful name of Jesus Christ Amen and when he gets us down into the valley he shows off 
like he wants to feed us. Open your mouth and I'll fill it, he says. With grapes. And then he puts you in the waterfall of his love. Ah, and his cup runneth over. And he reminds you that nothing will separate you ever, ever. From the love that he pours forth in our hearts today. Just receive his love. Let him love you.